Well, Oregon is a big favorite against Arizona State this week. And in the larger landscape of the college football playoff, yeah, they could use a big win. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to or watch this show. Appreciate everybody out there. Also appreciate FanDuel for bringing you today's episode. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if Oregon wins and you bet on the money line against Arizona State. Not bad. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Oregon could need a big win. Coaching carousel from the assistant side of things. We've talked about it from Dan Lanning's perspective. Yeah, I really don't think he's going anywhere, which is nice for us as the Duck fans. But plenty to get to on today's show, starting with Oregon sitting, as I expect, to be in the number six spot in the college football playoff rankings. I'm recording the show before those rankings come out because that's just kind of how the schedule is uh, working for me here. But Oregon, going into this week, controls its own fate to get to the college football playoff and the Pac-12 championship game. And frankly, in the other order. So Pac-12 title game and college football playoff. So this week, according to our friends at FanDuel, the Ducks are a 23.5-point favorite against Arizona State. In Oregon, after, you know, not a great performance, but a, you know, good enough performance, one that was, I think, not reflective of the final score. I think Oregon was much better than USC than just nine points. I thought they'd win by 20. I think if Oregon had played well, it wasn't anything USC did. If Oregon had cleaned up the penalties, made a field goal here or there, then perhaps Oregon wins that game by closer to 20 points. But alas, it's a win, and Oregon's kind of in survive in advanced mode. But resume also clearly matters here for the Ducks when you're talking about margin of victory. So Texas is the next ranked one-loss team, or at least has been for the last several weeks. I don't anticipate that is going to change. They continue to have a bunch of close games against mediocre to below-average teams. So Oregon's resume, which has one great win at Utah, it was great because of the dominant fashion in which it took place, not just that, you know, it's a good team that you're playing on the road, but winning 35 to six, that was really good. USC is a good win, though not a great one. And after that, Oregon's resume is not one of the stronger ones in the country. The reason the Ducks have been the highest ranked one loss team is because of their margin of victory against those inferior opponents. When you look at games like Colorado, 42 to six, Stanford, 42 to six, Washington State, up 20 until late in the game and still win the game, you know, and it wasn't close at uh, the end of it. Now, Texas has the best win of either of these teams because it's at Alabama, right? At Utah, out Alabama, I think Bama's a better team than Utah, especially right now. So I look at that and say, okay, so Texas between Oregon and and Texas has got the best singular win. Oregon has the better loss. And I think if those two things were to cancel out, the reason the committee has been adamant in putting Oregon one spot above Texas is that their margin of victory against the middling to below average teams in the conference has been really, really good. And Texas 
has not. And that line of thinking tracks, by the way, with Washington being left outside of the top four for the last few weeks. They should be. I, I Again, I don't know at the time of recording the show, they should be in the top four because you beat number 13 Utah. You better get a lot more credit than Florida State beating an unranked Miami team by seven at home. Okay, like that. That's what should happen. I don't know if that's going to happen, but the Texas win at Bama is better than any win Oregon has. And that margin of victory has been really, really important. So that can change for the Ducks, of course, if they win their next three games, right? I fully expect them to win against Arizona State. I don't think we have a rehash of 2019 at all, which I'll talk about more on on tomorrow's show. But then you've got Oregon State next week. And if you win both those games, it'll be Washington the following week. Now, number seven, Texas, currently number seven, plays at a six and four Iowa State team. Here's the conundrum for Duck fans. I think Oregon fans, instinctively, our rooting interest would be against Texas. I don't think that's the case. I do not believe that Oregon fans should want Texas to lose one of their next two games. Why? Because Texas has the head-to-head with Alabama, meaning that as long as Texas and Alabama have the same record, Texas is going to be ahead of Alabama and the next highest-ranked one-loss team. Whose resume and brand, more generally, would you rather go up against? If it comes down to a resume comparison between Oregon and somebody else, if everything goes the way we'd like it to. Texas and all the close losses to average to below average teams or Alabama starting to look like the Crimson Tide again as they go through a good slate in the SEC. They don't play Georgia, not till the SEC championship game. Whose resume would scare you more? A Big 12 champion, Texas, or an SEC champion Alabama with a win over Georgia. I'm way more scared of the committee selecting Bama over Oregon than Texas. That is my feeling. So I think Texas maintaining that buffer between the Ducks and Alabama is in the best interest for the program. Now, another question that I've gotten a couple times and I touched on a little bit on yesterday's show is Oregon State hosts Washington this week in what is going to be at least a top 12 matchup, probably a top 10. It'll be top 10 in the AP. It'll be top 11 or 12, at least in the college football playoff rank. You should be 10. Oregon State should be number 10. You have a top 10 matchup there. What would you rather have if you're a Duck fan? Washington win that game and give them a loss or Oregon State win the game and make the Beavers an even more enticing opponent next week when they come to Autzen Stadium. I thought about this more after talking about it on yesterday's show, and I came down leaning, and I I mean leaning, 51-49 towards Washington because I am not wild about what could happen to the, the next four, essentially, after the top four in the college football playoff rankings if Washington loses to Oregon State. That gives the Huskies a loss. Now, it'd be to a then top 10 or top 12 team. Maybe they would stand pat. That's what I think should happen. However, am I completely satisfied with the notion that that's what would happen? No. 
I am not. I can see a world. Remember, the Pac-12 is the deepest conference in the country. There is still a heavy level of SEC bias that exists in the college football world. Let's say, for instance, Washington and Texas lose this weekend. Who do you think the number five team in the country is going to be? One loss, Washington. One loss, Oregon, whose loss is to Washington. So we can't go ahead of them until Oregon actually beats them on the field. Or Alabama. I'll let that one marinate with you just for your rooting interest in this week 12 slate of college football, which is going to be wildly entertaining and fun. So that's where I think Oregon's fans' loyalties should lie. I don't think it's too much of a problem. If Oregon State does beat Washington, I just worry about that possibility of Oregon suddenly, instead of being the best one-loss team, that it moving to be Alabama. I think that's a possibility in there. Florida State this week, by the way, plays North Alabama. Yeah, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke, but we're supposed to treat all these records as the same when they are not. As Josh Pate loves to say correctly, you are not what your record says you are. It's an indication, but it is not something that fully defines you. So what about Oregon's coaching staff? What about the rest of Oregon's coaching staff? Like Dan Lanning shuts down the Texas A&M rumors, but could the Ducks lose anybody else this offseason? Well, right now, Dan Lanning and his staff are looking to build a championship team which is what eBay Motors knows how to do. Passion, drive, and patience, what brings home the winning trophy, is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part, is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible, eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. We do need a second segment, sip, even on the road. At home, on the road, doesn't matter. Got to have it, and we've got it. So let's talk about the coaching staff. Lanning loved his comments and what he said and the way he said it when asked about Texas A&M. Very open, very honest, very direct, passionately stating that he's not going anywhere. His quote, if you missed it, was, there's a 0% chance I will be coaching elsewhere. Said he's got everything he needs at Oregon, which, of course, he does, to win at a high level, compete at a high level. I don't know if he used the verbiage involving national championships, but we all know Oregon's capable of getting there. I think Lanning can get Oregon there. So this question came in, though, from Nathaniel. Mailbag, always open. YouTube comments or Twitter, at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. You can also become a Locked on Ducks insider if and only if, like IFF in geometry, you know, throwback to high school math you go join the Locked on Ducks subtext community. Get my breaking reaction and everything like that news related for the Ducks and plenty of further inside thoughts. Talk with me one-on-one, get priority mailbag access. So, okay. This question from Nathaniel. Do you think Will Stein gets a head coaching gig this offseason? No, I do not. 
I think he'll be at Oregon for at least one more year. Would I be a little surprised if he's still around in 2025? If the offense keeps performing at this level, yeah. Especially if if Oregon has a top 10, 15 offense with you know Ty Thompson or a transfer or somebody at quarterback next year. Yeah, Will Stein's probably an, a head coach somewhere else in 2025. But the, th- the reason I don't think he's a candidate is he's a really young guy. Now, so too is Kenny Dillingham. But Arizona State hired an alum there. And by the way, shout out to Dillingham because I think he's doing a great job, right? Oregon's going to play Kenny Dillingham this week. I don't think Oregon is going to lose the game. I I don't even know if Arizona State's able to keep it close, but that Arizona State team plays really hard for that guy, and he cares a lot about that school. Why? Because he is an alum. Will Stein played his college football at Louisville. Jeff Brom, in his first year, is doing an excellent job. They're something like 8-1, and okay? They're a good football team over in the ACC. I don't know about a great one, but they are a good football team, and he just got hired there. So his alma mater is not coming open. He's a really young guy, 33, 34 years old in that sort of range. And as the coaching carousel kind of starts to open up, I haven't seen Will, Stein, Will Stein's name pop up anywhere, not even on just your know, random lists that get made by pundits or podcasts or reporters or anything like that about, oh, this guy could be a candidate here. I think he has to pay his dues a little bit more. Dillingham was a young guy, yes. Dillingham had also been at Memphis. With Mike Norvell, who's doing a really good job over at Florida State, he'd been at Florida State and he'd been at Auburn. This is the first Power Five school as a coordinator that Will Stein has been at. So I don't anticipate Will Stein. I think he could do a good job, but I think he's Oregon's offensive coordinator, obviously for this season, but at least next year as well. And by the way, I think he's great. Now, another question came in from John asking about other assistants, whether they could get jobs. There will certainly be opportunities presented to members of this coaching staff. It's just, it's the nature of the beast. You have a lot of success. You have a big brand. People look at it and go, no, we want part of that. You know, Oregon was having a lot of success. Ken Wilson was a linebackers coach, got the head job down at Nevada. Hasn't been going super well, but that's a testament to what I'm talking about, right? You look at the Boise State job, the San Diego State job are going to be open this off season. Those are good Mountain West jobs. Those schools tend to look out west at coordinator positions or sometimes even position coaches, as we saw with Ken Wilson, for their head coaching vacancies. And I think that members of the Oregon staff have done a really good job. I don't know if any are you know lined up to go be a head coach there, but could I see some coaches taking an opportunity to go be a coordinator? Perhaps. I think the names to watch for. Uh, are Chris Hampton, number one. He's a co-defensive coordinator. If someone wanted to give him you know, the, the sole defensive coordinator job at a particular school, I could see him uh, leaving for that with how well the Oregon defense has, has done this season. Carlos Lachlan, I hope that guy becomes Gary Campbell. <laughs> like I, want, I want him to be an Oregon lifer. you know. Like, and they're both running backs coaches. Like, just such a stud. The way he identifies talent, the way he recruits, the way he develops these guys, everything about Carlos Lachlan, I'm so all in on that guy. And if he has a desire to be an offensive coordinator, yeah, he's a pretty hot name, especially when you consider his ability to recruit. Those would be the guys I would watch for most notably. You know, I I don't think Drew Marringer, the tight ends coach, 
is going anywhere. Um, I don't think Tosh Lupoy is leaving Dan Lanning. I really don't. And I don't think there are any other names out there. Like Alik Terry is still really young. I, I think he's got to, you know, like Will Stein, kind of, you know, pay his dues and cut. And what's the phrase? Cut your chops. I, I don't even know what that's referring to, honestly. So forget I said it. But they, they have to, I think, earn their pedigree a little bit more than they have, even though they both look like studs. Like one day, yeah, I, I, I could maybe see them going elsewhere, but it also depends. And I haven't talked to any of these guys on what their career aspirations are, right? Both those guys are well-paid. They've got good jobs at a great program. Some people are good with that. Some people are more aspirational. It just depends. But I would watch for Lachlan and Hampton as kind of the top targets to potentially get poached for uh, more expansive and comprehensive roles by uh, by other schools. This is another question from Nathaniel. Hey, Spence, you know what's ironic? Everyone's talking about how good the Ducks are this year. That's because Oregon's quite good. But last year, they only lost to Georgia, Oregon State, and Washington. This year, we haven't played the first two, Georgia and Oregon State, and lost to Washington. Is this the year they break the curse against the Beavers and UW? I don't know if losing once to Oregon State and not having done so in successive fashion since like 06, 07 or 07, 08. I think it was 06, 07 is the last time Oregon State won two in a row. I don't I don't, I don't think that uh, counts as a curse. Oregon's last two in a row to Washington. That's happened once in the last 15 years, I believe. Uh, prior to this particular two-game losing skit, it happened 2016-17. So... I don't think I agree with that framing of the way that uh, things are going. I, I do think Oregon State uh, is going to come to Austin next week and and walk out with a loss. I also think Oregon State is going to win this week uh, against Washington. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, last one here from Nathaniel. And then there are more mailbag questions. Fear not. A lot of great questions. And I'm always here for the mailbag questions, whether they come via subtext or YouTube or a Twitter. I think Keon Ware Hudson deserves some recognition. He's been a cog for a long time, stuck around despite the transfers and Popo. I mean, they're in the same vein. He always seems to do well with PFF and the stats are pretty good. 100% agreement on both of these guys. When you talk about Oregon's front four being better, more physical, more productive, and better getting after the quarterback than they were last season, Popo's been a big part of that. And Keon Hudson, or Keon Ware Hudson, you talk about a guy who's just so solid when he gets his opportunity. He's been great. He's, he's been great. He was a little bit more impactful, I think, at the start of the year. But there are a lot of great players along that defensive line. And, and you're right. He has been someone who's been really committed to Oregon and just so dialed in and just plays his role. You know, doesn't expect to be a starter. He could transfer to a Mountain West school, and you know, like a lot of players have. And I don't begrudge them for doing so. I understand it. He could transfer to a Mountain West school and then – be a number one defensive tackle. Instead, he's he's good being the number, what, probably four, five, maybe even six defensive tackle on this Oregon team. He clearly likes Eugene, loves the Ducks, and he likes winning. And, you know, I also like winning. So I understand it. I, I agree about those two guys uh, deserving some recognition. Popo's been fantastic. Um, exactly what you'd expect from a seventh-year guy. That, that's going to be a under-the-radar tough guy to replace when when this season comes to a close. But we also know there's a lot of talent uh, on this particular roster. Speaking of talent on the Oregon roster, Chris Hudson is a talented guy. So why isn't he involved? Kind of a mystery. 
No mysteries at FanDuel, though, just good times because you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, right now, new customers get $150 of bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. So if you haven't joined FanDuel before and you go place $5 on Oregon just to win against Arizona State this week, they're a 23 and a half point favorite, that you get $150 in bonus bets if the Ducks win, which they will. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, yeah, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. It's got a great interface, and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Okie dokie. So Rick Goodman asked a question to me on Twitter via the mentions, which is a great way to reach me. So are YouTube comments, so are DMs, so subtext. I respond to it all. I do look at subtext a little bit more because I want to give, you know, priority people who are supporting the show. Uh, It's $5 a month after a free 14-day trial. If you don't like it, hey, no obligation. Absolutely none. So Rick Goodman asked about Chris Hudson. And he also asked if uh, Lanning's presser was the best answer ever for a coach responding to a rumor about him uh, going to another school. I don't know if I can say the best because I haven't looked at all of them. What I will say is it was emphatic and I liked it and it gives me peace of mind that Lanning is not going to go to Texas A&M. Other coaches, for instance, Deion Sanders didn't (laughs) completely deflected. Jeff Trailer at UTSA also a guy that mm, didn't make an authoritative statement. Kalen DeBoer at Washington, I think, was somewhere in between. But Lanning said, nope, 0% chance I'm coaching elsewhere. I'm here. So I liked it quite a bit. Now, the question about Chris Hudson, though, is this is, is, is a strange situation. So Hudson was a holdover recruit from the Mario Cristobal era. Some of those guys have, have stayed and have been key cogs in this Oregon offense or defense and been really, really good. Keon Ware Hudson, for instance. Popo Amalai, for instance. Jackson Powers Johnson, Mario Cristobal recruit. So was Troy Franklin. So was Jeffrey Bassa. All these guys have thrived under Dan Lanning and this staff and after deciding not to transfer when Mario left for Miami. So I think that says a lot about Lanning and the culture he's established and also his he and his staff's ability his staff, he and his staff's ability, English is dumb. Anyway, the ability of Dan Lanning and his staff to develop guys into the best version of themselves, I think has been on full display this season with, with a number of good examples, Jeffrey Bossa being, I think, the most notable one. But when I look at the Chris Hudson situation, it's really weird. It's really weird. He was Oregon's second leading receiver last year. He also stuck it out through the change from Cristobal to Dan Lanning. And Steve Stevens gave him a shout out about giving him great looks on the practice squad for, you know, USC last week. And that says a lot about Chris Hudson that he hasn't pulled a Micah Pittman or seven McGee and decided to transfer in the middle of the season. I won't be surprised if he's back on the team next year for what I think would be his final year of eligibility. And if he has a larger role than he currently possesses, because I think that says a lot about him that he's, you know, stuck it out this far when a lot of other guys don't. But I, there, there's something that we don't know and will never know that has led to his decline in playing time. Because essentially, 
you know, Tez Johnson and Gary Bryant Jr. are the guys who have really taken his snaps from a year ago. Tez Johnson's a better football player. Okay. I, I, I think we all understand that. Tez is more explosive. He's, you know, got better agility. I think he's got better hands as well. Like Tez Johnson has been great. You can't deny those particular results. I think Gary Bryant Jr. has been fine and solid. And Gary Bryant Jr. is also the transfer from USC, for those who don't know. He also is back there returning kicks, something Chris Hudson did a year ago. I, I, I think GBJ is fine, a nickname that some people I think mostly give him online, but I'm just going to refer to it here because obvious reasons. So I think GBJ is fine. I don't I don't really see why he's a better football player than Chris Hudson. I I, I I don't know what GBJ brings to the table that Chris Hudson didn't prove over the course of multiple seasons he can do. I know that Chris Hudson can block. I know Chris Hudson can catch, can be a gadget guy. He can be someone who returns kicks. He can he can run all three levels of the route tree. He goes down the field, mid-range, short passes. Like he had everything. He's a good football player. He's a four-star recruit for a reason. So is Gary Bryant. And I think that both are good. So that leads me to believe, given that the staff does not have a tendency to just, you know, push aside everyone that was recruited by the previous staff because you know if you're good enough you're old enough and if you're good enough we don't care if we recruited you or not has clearly been the messaging from this coaching staff i i I think there is something else that we don't know because hudson was great last year he was great in 2021 came on strong at the end of the year in a big way speaking of the beeves game next week he played a key role against oregon state in 2021 he was awesome he caught a touchdown he had like 80 yards receiving which for you know, Anthony Brown led offenses was like having a receiver go for 250 in today's world. So I, I, I think that there's something there, and I have no idea, no inclination as to what it is. It's weird. It's uh, it's it's weird. Gary Bryant's been fine. He's been he has not been better than Chris Hudson. I do not see the evidence that he's a significantly better football player, which makes me think there's. Something going on. I just have no idea what. So that's my answer to that particular question. Last one before I get out of here today. This from <laughs> some of you guys in your names, I tell you. Uh, I am Vigo, the Carpathian. <laughs> Feels like a biblical reference or I, I have no idea, honestly. Hey, Spence, I have a question. I just want to preface this by saying that I believe our defense is a multi-year project and a work in progress it's early to mid stages. My question is, how does the current D stack up against the vaunted gang green defenses of the mid nineties? So I went back and it's hard to find information on defenses that I never once watched because I didn't see anything in the mid nineties. I hadn't been born yet, which makes it really, really difficult. And then for the last three years of the 1990s, I was one, two and three years old. This may shock you, but I don't remember anything from that time either. So just my big takeaway here. These are the points per game allowed each year from 1990 to 1999, 15.8, 22.5, 15.2. Those are some good years. 25.1, 25.3, 32.4. Yikes. 28.1, 23.1, 22.0. So I assume the years that you're referring to here are closer to the 15.8s and the 15.2s and 22.5s of the world. Here's what I'd say about this defense in comparison, which is allowing – less than 20 points per game on uh, the season. Let me double check that that stat is still uh, it, it is still there after the USC game. It should be since the Ducks only gave up 27. But 
When you look at football, yeah, it's 17.1 this year. When you look at football in the 1990s and you compare it to now, what's the biggest difference? Offenses are more explosive. I think this Oregon defense, to this point, we'll see how they end the last, you know, two, three, four games of the season and whatnot. Hopefully there are five, fingers crossed. But if you look at what defenses have to go up against now from an athletic standpoint, from a talent standpoint, a rules standpoint, and a philosophy standpoint, 17.1 points per game allowed in 2023 is more impressive even than 15 points a game allowed in the early to mid-90s by a lot. So I'm not saying those defense, defenses weren't good, but if you put those defenses, like those players against these offenses, those points per games in the 90, in the 90s would points per game in the 90s would probably be higher because offenses are more explosive, more dynamic, more creative. That's where all the best players go. And back then, I, I think defense was a bigger part of the sport. So I'm really high on this defense. I think they've played awesome this year. And they're allowing, by the way, over 10 points per game fewer than a season ago. You'll love to see it. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.